0: You know, I was thinking this week, I was reading, you know, in the book of Acts. um, The book of Acts turned the the world upside down. As As they moved into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the other parts of the earth, they brought the gospel with them. We see the power of the gospel lived out through the church as they went into all the world. And you see, the church is called to go. But I also discovered something very interesting, that before they were sent to go out... They were called to come together. In fact, if you look throughout the scriptures and you see before Jesus did any big ministry to the outside outside world, so to speak, those outside his his, uh, his disciples, he always pulled them together. And you see, this is a season, as we mentioned last week, it's a time to gather. It's It's a time to encourage one another and build one another and connect with one another. Not because we're looking to create a social club. But there's a season for us to come in and be equipped. Why? So that as we're building one another up, as we're equipping one another, as we're growing alongside one another, we become that much more effective in bringing the gospel to the world because ultimately that's what God's called us to do, right? And so that before the church got sent out into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the other parts of the earth, they worshiped together. They prayed together. They studied the scriptures together. They gave generously so they could meet the needs of one another. They shared the gospel together. And so I don't know how long we'll be able to ride this wave. We're going to measure it each week to make sure that, you know, it's, 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 it's an environment that's uh, uh, conducive to finding a seed and a parking spot. And, uh, but but it's, we're just kind of feeling like, you know, let, let's just celebrate this moment. As I think of our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine today, I think to myself, oh, how much they would love to be together in the church. That's why the writer of Hebrews said, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is. We're gonna be praying, we're gonna give some, some direction on some of our plans for the church in the Ukraine. We've got some connections through Reach Global to some specific missionaries and, and churches in the Ukraine. And so we're gonna spend some time um, at, at, after the sermon this morning, uh, praying for them and, and, and seeing how we might uh, best come alongside them in this time. But um, what an interesting time it is in our world. And while we want to be prayerful, while we want to be intentional, we also want to make uh, best use of the freedom that we have right now. And so we're together. Last week, we began a new series that we'll be focusing on these next couple of weeks. We're calling it Live Out Loud. And it's an examination of what Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12 as he lays out for them the marks of a true Christian. The text is oftentimes looked at to determine whether somebody else is a Christian, right? Sometimes we'll look at that text and people come to our mind and think, well, you know what, they say they're this, but this says otherwise. And what we're looking at is saying, you know what, we don't want to do that. That's not, per- that's not the purpose of this. We want to take this text and look in the mirror and say, Holy Spirit, what areas in my life that I need to grow in? Sometimes we can get so concerned about what everybody else is doing that we can fail to recognize that there's some opportunity for us to be growing. There's some opportunity for us to identify some areas of sin in our life that keep us from walking in and experiencing all that God wants for us to do. And so our desire is to, to live our faith out loud. And the way in which we're going to do that is we're going to take a look at Romans 2. 12, and instead of looking at everybody else, we're going to look right on in the mirror and say, God, would you show me? Holy Spirit, would you put your finger on some areas in my life? Because as I mentioned last week, the church in the last number, last number of years has gotten so sidetracked with so many of the, the political narratives and the medical narratives and all the other stuff that we have spent more time on the talking points of the day that has caused more division than the necessary things in mission that we have as a church, right? And so what we wanna look at is to say, God, how do we get back to the basics of why we exist as a church? Why do, and, and what way can we influence, how can we be the salt of the earth and the light of the world in this season of life that you've called for us to do? And so the reality of it is we're going to look at this and say, God, open the eyes of my understanding. Help me to to live out loud. Help me to have the life of Christ lived out in my life. Can you just, just allow that to move from your head to your heart and consider that invitation this morning? That you and I have been invited by God. In fact, we are being equipped by God to have the life of Christ lived out in us, in the world around us. I don't know about you, but there's no greater person I could ever want to reflect than the Lord Jesus Christ. What an incredible invitation that we have been given. And so we're going to take a look at our passage this morning and and consider what are some ways in which we can live out loud. If you have your Bibles, let's turn together to Romans chapter 12, and we will begin to um, unpack that this morning. Picking up at verse 9, Paul writes and says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor do not be slothful in zeal but be fervent in spirit serve the Lord rejoice in hope be patient in understanding be constant in prayer contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse them rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep live in harmony with one another do not be haughty If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Such a rich list of characteristics that Paul ascribes to a a true Christian. I challenged you last week and I'll challenge you this week. Please make a point of reading that passage every day in these next couple of weeks and allow the Holy Spirit to preach it to you far better than I ever possibly can. I can't. You can get a customized message right from God, the Holy Spirit, to you. So allow yourself to go through this passage, and that way we can kind of go through it, and you can say, "Yeah, the Lord was speaking that to my heart." But but I want to encourage you to dig into the Word this morning. The Holy Spirit does a far better job than I ever could. Last week we we focus on Paul's opening, where he says, "Let love be genuine. Let it be authentic." sincere let it be heartfelt let it be without hypocrisy and we looked at first corinthians chapter 13 to get a greater detail on the subject of love it was almost like it was almost like we zoomed in on this passage let love be genuine and the closer we zoomed in it kind of showed us first corinthians 13 and showed us here's what this looks like here's how we are to love genuinely and and I pray you had an opportunity to look at 1 Corinthians 13 in a way last week that maybe you hadn't done before and hopefully that it, like me, I know it challenged my heart and and I pray that it challenged yours as well but I find find something very interesting that's worth pointing out in this opening part here and it's kind of a uh, if you will, almost a part two to last week it kind of ties in together Um, look at verse 9 and 10, he says let love be genuine Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Interestingly, sandwiched between let love be genuine and love one another is this call to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil, sandwiched right between let love be genuine right? Love one another and brotherly affection and the meat there or the right between the bread is abhor what is evil. This kind of flies in the face of our culturally, our cultural and politically correct understanding of what love is. What is that idea of hating or boring what is evil? But it's that that I want to focus on this morning. You see, love is not so much an emotion that flows from our heart, but rather love is an embracing of that which is consistent with the character and nature of God. In our world today, we have so diluted this world love to be nothing more than an emotion that we feel at the moment. We ascribe love to people, things, and certain kinds of food, right? (laughs) Love is not about emotion. Love is not about how you feel about something. But rather, love is the embracing of that which is consistent with the character and nature of God. In other words, love is is defined by the the very essence of who God is. I mentioned last week in John's epistle, he wrote that, that God is love right? Love is just not what God does. Love is the very essence of who he is, right? It's not just a verb, right? It's a noun. God is love, and everything that God does flows out of his character of love, and so everything that flows out of God is loving, because it's the very essence of who he is. And here's the big point to to the one who, who is a new creation in Jesus Christ. How many of you new creations in Jesus Christ? Right, those who are made in the image of God, those who are are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. God is love. And Paul reminds us that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Well, what is God working on in us? He's working on us in such a way that, that who we are will become a better reflection of who he is. Right? When we talk about this idea that we are his workmanship, what's the goal here? What's the end game? The end game is that who we are will be a greater reflection of who he is. Can we just celebrate that for a moment? I mean, do you realize what you are being invited to by God, the Holy Spirit? Do you recognize that God is working on you? He is committed to you. He's going to complete that which he started in your life. And somewhere along the line, we could beat ourselves up over where we're not yet. But you know what? We're not what we were. And each and every day as I am looking into his face and allowing his word to transform my heart, hopefully I'm looking a little bit more and more like Jesus, who is love. And if I want to reflect him, then I must reflect his love as well. This call to to let love be genuine and to love one another with brotherly love is put there. And the way in which we can put that in motion is to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Hating what is evil is not the opposite of loving genuinely. It is the outworking of loving genuinely. Hating what is evil is not the opposite of loving genuinely, loving genuinely. it is the outworking of loving genuinely abhor what is evil. There's no stronger word in our English language to communicate what Paul is saying here. He's saying, abhor. Say that word with me. The more I repeated that word, the the weirder it kind of sounded to me. You're like, abhor what is evil. Abhor, abhor what is evil. Here's some synonyms for that. It means to hate strongly. To despise to hate violently, to loathe, to be disgusted. There's no stronger word in our English language than to abhor. The Greek word that we translate abhor is apostigao, And this is the only place in the entire New Testament that this Greek word is used. Nowhere else is this Greek word used. There's no stronger emotion or no stronger ill emotion than one can have, than abhor. And what are we to ascribe this kind of emotion to? Abhor what is evil. What is evil? It's that which is the opposite of God's character. Therefore, evil is the opposite of love. Love. I said hating, evil is not the opposite, right? But evil is the opposite of love. Abhor that which is contrary to God's character. And sin is contrary, that's what makes it sin. It's contrary to God's character and God contrary to God's nature. And you see if we want to love genuinely then we must despise, we must hate, we must abhor what God abhors. And sadly, sometimes we just don't do that. Can we get real honest? I'm not talking about them, I'm talking about me. There are things that I'll entertain, there's things that I'll laugh over, there are things that I'll tolerate that God calls evil. When sin is coddled, it it results in the compromise and the distortion of genuine love. As God's people, we must identify those areas in our lives that we tolerate. Those areas that we compromise and justify. By the grace of God, we must lean into the transforming work of the Holy Spirit so that we might develop an abhorrence for the things that God hates. So that we might look like him. How do we define those things that God hates? We focus on the things that are that are contrary to God's character. Things that are contrary to God's character is that which God hates. Proverbs chapter 6 gives us a list of things that God hates. Look with me Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16 he writes there are six things that the Lord hates seven that are an abomination to him I mean I don't know about you but but if I'm wanting to please God if I'm wanting to honor God if I'm wanting to live my life the way God wants me to live and I come across a passage of scripture here that says there are six things that God hates seven that are an absolute abomination to him I don't know about you but I want to listen a little bit because I don't want to cross that line right Here are some things that God hates. Haughty eyes. What are haughty eyes? Haughty eyes is an arrogant, overinflated view of self. It is looking down on other people like you are better than them, more valuable than them. It's pride in the heart that looks down on other people. God hates it. God hates a lying tongue. Why? Because it's contrary to truth, which is the essence of who God is. And look, God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. Can I tell you, God hates what's going on right now in the Ukraine? God hates that there's a leader that Putin is going after and trying to kill innocence to broaden his territory. God hates it and God will deal with it. I know every one of us are praying, God, deal with it now. And I don't always understand the timing of God, but I do know this, there will be a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, including Putin's, and recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I hope he does that before he dies and not after. But God hates hands that shed innocent blood. He hates a heart that devises wicked plans. Schemes and considers how can I elevate myself at the expense of other people? Feet that make haste to run to evil. Hearing there's something bad going on, and can't wait to hear what's so bad. A false witness who breathes out lies again. And a lot of these things have to do with the tongue. That's another conversation for another day. And then the seventh one, an abomination, the one who sows discord amongst brethren. What is that? That's that gossip that loves to fill your ears with content about somebody else who isn't present and does it in such a way that it changes their view of that person and it causes discord and division. The enemy is really good at stirring that up you're hearing things about other people, you need to go to that person that's being spoken of. If you don't, you're a part of the gossip, and listen, God hates that. We are children of light, and we bring all things into the light, and we get all the facts, and once we have all the facts, we lean on the Holy Spirit for discerning ear. When we don't, we draw conclusions, we don't ask anybody about anything, we are then part of a divide. God hates that. Something I find very interesting, though, what Paul says here, notice it doesn't say abhor who is evil. He says abhor what is evil? Because we are not to abhor anybody. We are not to hate anybody because that is contrary to God's character. And so we need to be really careful when you see someone doing actions that those actions make you, you know, get deep into your, into your core and you're thinking, how can they do that? How can they slaughter babies? We need to abhor what is evil, but not the people who have been deceived into thinking it's okay. We need to hold in contrast in, in proper tension those things. The problem is we ascribe abhorrence to people which limits our ability to show genuine love to them instead of focusing on abhorring the sin that we tolerate in our own lives. Hello? Oftentimes the things that people are most passionate about being critical in other people, is because it's resonant in their own heart. And we need to be careful before we start pointing a finger at anybody else. We look in the mirror. I have learned that oftentimes the most judgmental, unforgiving, and critical people have the worst skeletons in their own closet, right? Look at the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And if you don't want to look that far, look in the mirror. Because if we really got honest, there's a little bit of that in every one of us that still needs to get purged out. And so that God, and so that we would have, so that we would reflect this one that we love so much. When we don't deal with the sin that's in our own life, we will never be able to genuinely, genuinely love others because the evil that's in our own hearts, that, that, that which is there, it taints our ability to love genuinely. Now, before anybody wants to slit their, their throat and, and leave feeling like a total loser, um, let, me, let me just tell you, there's some really good news in all of this. We need to be aware of what we're capable of so that we can recognize that there's a plan for us not to walk in that. And I know that's why you're here. That's why you're tuning in. Right? We're here not to beat ourselves up, but because we want to we grow. We want to reflect this one that we love so much. We want to be the church of Jesus Christ. And the good news is better than the bad news is bad. The good news is that God is committed and capable to accomplish the work that he's begun in your life. But we got to know what we're dealing with. We need to know what's on the inside so that God can work in us. Again, Paul said we're, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We're his workmanship. I told the church of Philippi, I'm confident that this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, he'll complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, don't be afraid to look at what's on the inside because it's there, but bring it out. To say, God, would you change my heart? Would you grow me in this area? God is committed to you. God loves you. God's plan for you is to walk in genuine love and reap the blessings of joy and peace that comes from walking in genuine love. And to walk in that, we must prioritize loving genuinely and hating correctly. Wait, you just said that. But you just said God's the one doing the work. Yes, I did. I did say that he uh, he does do the work. Yeah, but, but you also just said not. You just said I have to do the work. I have to pray. Yeah. Here's the thing. We as a true Christian, it's really important that we hold in proper tension Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13. Now, I know you all know what that is. And I could just move on, but I won't. I'll lay that out there and 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 for those who, you know, don't have it all book of Philippians memorized, we'll 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 what does Paul say here in Philippians chapter two, verse twelve and thirteen? He says, "Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not as only in my presence, but much more in my absence." Look, he says, "Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." Whoa! Wait a minute. That's that's hard stuff right there. Work it out myself. I know what I'm capable of. I know how I've tried so hard to kind of change me, and I'm not capable of doing that. And now you're going to tell me work out my own salvation with fear and trembling? That part's easy but thankfully it doesn't end there he says for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure you see we don't have a contradiction here we are to work at our salvation and yet it is God who works in us to will and to do we don't have a contradiction here but we have a complete picture of what sanctification looks like now, I don't know where it starts and where it stops, right? I don't know where my effort ends and God's kicks in. I'll never, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But I do know this, and you've heard me say this many times I want to live my life like it all depends on me, but I'm going to sleep at night knowing that it all depends on Him and His ability to accomplish and complete what He started in my life. You see, working out on your salvation, that's what you do. But that's not enough. But when you're working out your salvation, that demonstrates that you are a believer. It doesn't make you a believer, but that's the fruit. It's the demonstration that you are a believer. And that's what we're called to do. And as we are doing what we can do with what God has given to us, God the Holy Spirit comes alongside and completes that work. And so we get to be encouraged for it's God who works in you both to will and to work according to his Good pleasure. Notice what Paul says here. He says, not only do we abhor what is evil, but look, we hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. It's important to know how to identify what good is. You see, good is that which, what? Proceeds out of God. That's what James tells us. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? It's from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Okay, so so I'm gonna trust God and and I'm gonna do the best I can to live out loud. But how do I apply that in this area of love in my life? Sounds great on a Sunday morning, but man, I got to live Monday through Friday. And Saturday too. Saturday is sometimes a little harder, right? (laughs) Somebody said to me last week, that was really good. I said, yeah, it's really easy to preach. Easy to preach, tough to live sometimes, right? How do we do that? Three things. Number one, love genuinely. Love genuinely. Put in motion the specifics of love that we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians 13. That's how we do it. Can we, can we accomplish it? Nope. But as our direction is moving in that direction, God the Holy Spirit will come alongside us and he'll accomplish in us and through us what we can never accomplish ourselves. Love genuinely. Ensure that you're not abhorring people because if you are hating people the love of God cannot be in your heart love genuinely you can hate the actions but love the people secondly hate what God hates hate what God hates Examine your own life and see if there's anything that you love that's contrary to God's character and therefore making it evil. Remember the coddling of evil is the compromise and distortion of genuine love. Make it a matter of prayer. It's God, I like this too much. I think about this too much. I engage in this too much. And I know it's wrong. It's evil. It's contrary to you. Lord, would you give me a hatred for it? Would you change the way I view these actions? Hate what God hates. Hold fast to what is good. Number three, hold fast to what is good. Allow the scripture to influence your understanding of what good is. Not your feelings, not your emotions, not your experiences, not everybody else. Let the word of God influence your understanding of what good is. Make finding the good a priority that you pursue. Find the good in everything. Find the good in one another. There's always some good, you know, we always have the opportunity to find the good or the bad. Be people who find the good. know that that which is good is found in God comes from God right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 when God created everything he made everything good he created the light and said it's good he created the skies the seas the dry land he said it's good he created the vegetation the plants the trees the seed bearing fruits he looked at it and said it's good He created the sun and the moon and the stars. He stepped back and he said, it's good. He created the sea living creatures and the birds of the air, the creatures of the land, and he said, it's good. And then he made male and female in his own image. He said, it's it's very good. Everything God created was good. Everything that could be experienced at this point prior to the fall, it was good. It flowed out of the heart of a good and generous God. And the only experience that existed on the earth at that time was that which was good. That's all that Adam and Eve had experienced was that which was good. And you know the story. God placed them in the garden, invited them to enjoy everything that was good in the garden. He said, you can have everything save one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then Satan comes in and he begins to tempt them. And he asks the question, did God really say, right? He tries to give them to question God's word. The enemy hasn't changed his strategy one bit. The first thing the enemy tries to do when bringing deception into your life and mind is he tries to get you to question or compromise or twist or accommodate to myself God's word. And he says, did God really say you shall need eat of the tree of the garden? Yeah, he really did. And he said, "But." You see, God's afraid that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God's really afraid that you're going to be like him, knowing and having an understanding, a knowledge of good and evil. That's what God's really afraid of. He's afraid that you're going to know what good and evil is. And so the payout for eating the fruit wasn't really what they thought. You see, we we clearly saw prior to the fall, everything that God created was already good. Everything that Adam and Eve experienced up until the fall was good. Goodness was all that ever existed and so now here comes the enemy promising what? Not that which is good, but that which is evil. That's all he was offering. A knowledge of that which was evil. And so the payout for eating the fruit wasn't a knowledge of good. They already had that, but it was the knowledge of evil. But Satan will, was able to make, a, make, a, make it appear like they were going to get something good apart from what God had for them. And see, that which is good comes from God. And likewise, our ability to love genuinely and hate correctly is connected to our awareness of the source of each. Love comes from God and everything apart from God is evil and we must abhor that which is evil and hold fast to that which is true. We live out loud when we genuinely love and hate correctly. Love what God loves and hate what God hates. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, how it it just gets right into the crux of our life and gives us opportunity to repent of areas that are not like you and to go after areas that are. Thank you, thank you for coming and creating a way for us to walk in relationship with you to be a reflection of Jesus in the world. Lord, that's a heart's desire. As we gather together, Lord, may we celebrate the kindred spirit we have in Christ Jesus so that we might be mobilized to go into the world and be a reflection of this one we love. In Christ's name we pray.